Aloha. You are listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Network. I'm your host, Chad Ford, and I'm with John Hollinger, senior writer for The Athletic and a co-host of Hollinger and Duncan on the Locked On Network. John and I used to collaborate on ESPN.com on a number of projects, including the future power rankings and a load of NBA draft analysis before he joined the Memphis Grizzlies as vice president of basketball operations. He's the winner of a Lifetime Achievement Award from the Sloan Analytics Conference, a pioneer in bringing advanced statistical analysis to the NBA, including inventing his statistic PER, player efficiency ranking. John brings not only a keen eye for evaluating talent and proven analytical approach to scouting the draft, but his seven years in NBA front offices between 2012 and 2019 give him a load of behind-the-scenes stories to tell as well. Welcome aboard, John. Thanks, Chad. I, I hope I can live up to that intro. It's great to be working uh, together again after all these years, though. Yeah, I really missed it. And, you know, one of the things that, that I always loved about you, John, was you, you, you took analytics, basketball analytics, and, and made it digestible for people like me that, that, that really were scared of math. And you're really entertaining. You're a really fantastic writer. I'm, I'm really stoked to have you back writing again with The Athletic as well. There was, there was a lot of wit involved, and I think we need more of that when we're, when we're diving into analytics and metrics as well. Thank you. Thank you. Well, especially in these dark times, right? Yeah. And you know, it's interesting to, to start an NBA draft pros, uh, podcast when it's not even clear that there's going to be an NBA draft or when it's going to be or how it's going to function. And there's so much uncertainty in the air right now for, for NBA teams. And it, it's, it's going to be a different world. So much of the scouting process that NBA teams typically go through, it looks like it's going to be impossible this year to do it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, al already we lost basically the entirety of the conference tournaments, which is usually the first, the first big kind of event in what you'd call scouting season, you know, as we go through and we go through the conference tournaments and the NCAA tournament and Portsmouth and the combine and the hoop summit and all those events, the Jordan class, all that's out. So it's a brave new world. Not to mention that a number of the top prospects in this year's draft weren't playing college basketball or were injured or were overseas or had a number of other, other issues as well. This may be the most challenging NBA draft ever to scout. Yeah, yeah. And you know, the worst part, Chad, is we're going to lose those agent workouts because really <laughs> when you watch these guys do poster dunks over five foot eight trainers, that's when you really find out who can play and who can't. Oh man, don't start killing the agents right now. They're going <laughs> to... <laughs> I'm going to boycott the podcast right at the very beginning. Oh, here we go. Well, I'm sorry, I'm getting you in trouble already. Well, John and I had this idea that while we're in limbo and, and, and waiting uh, for the NBA draft process, whatever it's going to be to, to really kickstart, we would look back, look back at a number of NBA drafts uh, that have occurred over the last decade or so and and bring a 2020 hindsight uh, view to this as well. And so we thought, look, for the next few months, we're going to take a deep dive back into past NBA drafts, explore what the NBA got right, what also we got right. Both of us were working on those drafts in one, one function or the other, what we got wrong. And we're going to do it in the form of a mock draft. So each of us is going to rotate making picks based on, on hindsight, what should have happened on draft night and we'll include with each pick analysis of why the current players should go there as 
well as why a player may have been over or underranked in the draft process. I'm hoping John and I can also bring some insider insight into what was actually going on in the draft process with some of these players, both from my reporting and and for many of the years that we're going to tackle, John was working in the front office for the Grizzlies. And so he had uh, access to, to player interviews, medical records, and just a number of other things that weren't necessarily public. And we're going to start with the 2014 NBA draft. I mean, we could have started in a lot of different places and we're going to, we're going to bounce around, but I wanted to start there because there was huge hype around this draft. This was as excited as I had seen NBA teams and scouts in a while. When you thought about before, before the college basketball season started, just sort of coming into the draft, there was Andrew Wiggins, there was Jabari Parker, two super highly ranked high school um, basketball players with a ton of hype. Joel Embiid burst onto the scene at Kansas and really from the get-go, you could see that he was going to be a special and a dominant NBA big man. There was players like Aaron Gordon and, and Zach Levine, who even back then we knew were going to be competing for titles for NBA dunk championships and just were exciting players. Julius Randle was a big-time high school stud. Marcus Smart at Oklahoma State had an incredible, electric, energetic, passionate season, and, and a lot of people fell in love with him. And then there was even players like Dario Saric overseas who had really become an international sensation and, and was one of those international prospects that was already actually getting significant playing time overseas. There was a lot to be excited about in this, in this draft, and it didn't really turn out to be a, a, the, the draft that we all thought it was going to be. Uh, in fact, after you move past the first couple of guys, maybe you could even argue that it, that it was a bit of a disappointment. How are you looking at the 2014 draft, John, uh, bef- before it all started, before we got into all the scouting and everything else, just the initial just, just, just the initial take on the draft? Yeah, I mean, so this was my first full season with the Grizzlies because I had started in December of the year before. We were really excited about the talent that was in the draft. And we actually, we, we uh, to the point that we traded for uh, an early second round pick, not even knowing who we were going to take. We just thought there was that much value in the draft that we knew we'd be able to get somebody. Um, so in the... I can't remember if we did it in the hours leading up to the draft or while the first round was going on, we traded for the 35th pick. And so usually you make a deal like that when, you know, when number 35 comes up, we made it ahead of time just because we felt like we, there were so many guys that we liked, we knew we were going to get someone we liked there. And I I think everyone felt that way about this draft. And, you know, even like right from the get go one, two, it's like, well, Wiggins Parker, it's like, what, (laughs) you know, what what value did we get from that? And uh, there, it was a weird draft, though, because there was actually a lot of good value late. Probably the deepest draft um, in my tenure with the Grizzlies, certainly, and maybe you go back even further. I mean, there was a lot of quality to be had in this draft in the 30s and 40s. Even. And you'll see it as we go through our mock. All right. I think that's a good uh, good segue into the mock. Uh, I'm just going to give you a brief rundown if, for, for listeners that can't remember what happened. We're only going to we're only going to mock the lottery. So let's just look at what actually happened on on draft night. The Cleveland Cavaliers had the number one pick in the draft. They selected Andrew Wiggins. I think at the time, everyone felt that was a no-brainer. He was the best best choice, especially after Joel Embiid uh, was injured uh, at, right uh, during the draft process, and there was deep concerns about, about his back. Milwaukee selected number two, and they, they selected Jabari Parker out of Duke. Uh, Philadelphia 
The 76ers had the third pick in the draft, and for the third straight year, they selected a center, uh, Joel Embiid, uh, and uh, a, a guy that was probably not going to play his his rookie year. Uh, the Magic selected fourth, and they took Aaron Gordon. The Jazz selected fifth, took Dante Exum out of Australia. The Celtics had the sixth pick, sixth pick in the draft and selected Marcus Smart out of Oklahoma State. The Lakers selected seventh, Julius Randle out of Kentucky. The Kings, oh, the Kings, with the eighth pick in the draft, took Nick Stauskas, a, a player who threatened to not play. didn't work out there and did not want to play with the Kings at eight. Uh, the uh, Charlotte Hornets at nine selected Noah Vonley. The 76ers uh, had the 10th pick in the draft. They ended up trading it, uh, but they had Alfred uh, Payton uh, at 10 and, and traded him uh, to the Orlando Magic for the 12th pick in the draft, Dario Saric. Uh, the 11th pick in the draft was uh, Doug McDermott, uh, who was traded to the Chicago Bulls. Denver had that 11th pick. The uh, 12th pick, as we said, was uh, Dario Saric, who ended up with the 76ers. The 13th pick in the draft was the Minnesota Timberwolves with Zach Levine. And the 14th pick was the Phoenix Suns with TJ Warren. So that's how it went on draft night. I don't think either of us think that's how it should have went on draft night uh, <laughs> all these years later. John, you've got the first pick in the draft. You're the Cleveland Cavaliers. You, you know that LeBron James may be, uh, may be flirting with returning from the Miami Heat uh, to Cleveland. That was the sort of the buzz and the scenario around draft night, right? That, that LeBron was leaning. And I, I think the Cavs had a fairly good idea at that point that they might be getting him back. You have the first pick in the draft. Who do you select? The first pick in the draft. <laughs> let, me, let me undo uh, my biggest regret from my time in Memphis. Uh, we had that 35th pick, and we could have gone for an international stash player. And if we had done that, the international stash player we would have taken was a uh, uh, somewhat blubbery uh, Serbian center who liked to ride horses, and people weren't totally sure if he liked basketball or not, but he was seemed pretty skilled and, like, maybe he could get better. And uh, that definitely turned out to be the case. So Nikola Jokic uh, would be my choice. Uh Choosing between him and like Joel Embiid is probably the other player you could discuss here, in, in my opinion. And Jokic has played nearly twice as many career games, so you know this, the best avail ability is availability, like they say, um, and has played at uh, a fairly similar level. You could argue Embiid's been the better player when he's been healthy, but I think just the overall quantity of production by Jokic really makes him the top choice here. He slides to forty-one. Yeah, the Nuggets themselves. Mm -hmm had two picks, uh, maybe three. They, I think they had three picks. Well, they picks. definitely had uh, – they traded McDermott to get two picks, right? Yeah, so they had Gary Harris. They, they selected Nurkic. I can't remember if they had another one in the second round ahead of him also. It's it's not like the Nuggets, like, nailed this, right? Like, they, 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 they passed on him themselves twice uh, to get him. Why, why wasn't Jokic rated higher? I mean, it was clear really from day one when he got to the NBA, this was going to be a special NBA player. You talked about him being blubbery. I know there was a lot of concern about what position he could, could he defend a position in the NBA? I mean, was, was it pretty much this guy that just didn't look like he was in shape and, and really big question marks about where he was going to defend or how he was going to defend in the NBA? Yeah, there were definitely a lot of question marks about him defending and would you just pick him? you know, pick him, roll him to pieces. Uh, and you remember, he played the Hoop Summit that year, and he had some buzz coming in and didn't have a great week. 
And I think that kind of pushed some people off of him. Uh, you know, it's funny though. I, I went to see him in Serbia after the hoop summit. And I mean, he's just so skilled. Like he, he just took a ball. You know how he kind of like lopes up the court with the ball. It doesn't really look like he's going that fast or whatever. And he took a rebound. Just, it was the end of a quarter and just shot a pull up from half court and, and made the shot at the buzzer. Like, but he, you know what I mean? He shot it like a, like a, almost like a regular shot. It was just like, la, 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 you know, expression doesn't change. Like it's all the same stuff he does now. Um, and so, yeah, I just kicked myself over that. I mean, that was the one move of that whole era that really could have changed things potentially for us. I mean, there's other stuff. Well, we could have done X, we could have done Y. It would have, you know, maybe changed things at the margins. But th this is the one thing that could have changed things like a lot if we had ended up with him. You know, it's really interesting because all the prejudices of scouts were working against Jokic right now, right? Like athleticism. Uh, you know, fast twitch, uh, ability to defend a position, uh, work ethic. And, and really when I talk about work ethic, you know, you look at his body, is this guy spent a minute in the gym conditioning? Does he really care uh, about playing NBA? But, you know, there's always this, the, these old time scouts who say this thing, they're, 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 they're either a baller or they're not. Mm -hmm. They either know how to play the game or they don't. And that part was always clear. Jokic really really knew how to play the game basketball iq off the charts yeah and uh as uh my coworker uh ethan strauss sometimes says uh fat is potential in disguise <laughs> okay fat is potential in disguise that's a nice that's a nice day i think we had some of that if here. the Cavs, but but you know the interesting thing about all this is if the Cavs drafted him and there's no way they would have Oh, I mean, anyone who took him in the right. lottery would have been laughing. Yeah, but if they draft him number one, yeah. they're still trading him to get LeBron James. No, it was to get it was to get it was to get Kevin Love though. Right, right. Yeah. But it, it was yeah. to get a player to pair with LeBron James that gave them a real yeah. shot at winning a championship, and yeah. and that wasn't going to be Jokic. Yeah. And so you know this, he he probably would have ended up, uh, you know, on the Timberwolves. Interestingly, interestingly enough. Okay, number two, uh, Milwaukee Bucks had the chance to take Joel Embiid number two. Uh, they, they shied away from it pretty quickly. There was, there was so much concern about, about health uh, with Joel Embiid. I think everybody knew the talent there. And I, and I think while it, it didn't really happen right away in the season, I think that you could argue by the, by the draft, the consensus among NBA teams and scouts was that Embiid was the best prospect in this draft from a basketball standpoint, mm -hmm. but there was concerns yeah. about the back. And uh, I, I remember getting the call after he got. You're right. That's interesting. You mentioned that because everyone talks about the foot, but there was also the, the it was the back at the time that was, that was as big. A deal. Yeah. That, that, that got people really, really scared. Yeah. Right. And yeah. And it was really interesting talking to him, talking to his agent. Uh, I remember I was actually at a board meeting when I when I got the emergency call of that he was injured, and and you know as a reporter you're you're walking this thin line. You don't if there's anything you don't want to get wrong, it's a medical issue, right? Like you you don't want to put out something that's going to hurt a player at, without it being confirmed. And it, and it took a while to get his team, his agent, and his team to really sort of confirm what was going on. And so there was this, there was this big challenge. Do you draft the guy who may not play for you, 
uh, his rookie season, who was a bit of a newcomer to the game and so didn't have the same sort of pedigree that a Jabari Parker did or an Andrew Wiggins uh, did as well. Do, do you draft? Where do you draft and where does the reward outweigh the risk? And the, and the Bucks were not particularly uh, uh, risk takers um, at the time, though they took Giannis Antetokounmpo uh, the yeah. year before. But that was a very different scenario. I, I mean, in all fairness, uh, to John Hammond, who's one of my my favorite people in the NBA, John Hammond had no idea that Giannis Antetokounmpo was going to be the MVP uh, of the NBA uh, a few years later. And 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 really, their initial plan wasn't they they, they really didn't think he'd play at all uh, his his first year that he would be a, a D League player. And, and, and so I, I think with that in 2013, even though they ended up playing him and knew they had something for sure, they knew that they had something special by the end of his, his rookie season. I really think they felt like they needed to, to pair him with a with another surefire star. They thought that was Jabari Parker. That that clearly wasn't right. Embiid's been amazing. Uh, he, he's been injured a lot, but but when he's been healthy, as you pointed out, there's a really strong argument he was the best. He was the best player in this draft. Yeah, yeah. When healthy, yeah, absolutely. Because you get you get you get similar offensive prowess, though he's not you know he's not the passer and he doesn't do some of the other thing, things that Jokic does. But then you get much superior uh, defensive player uh, than Jokic yeah. is. Yeah, just a mon- monstrous defender when he's when he's healthy. So yeah, it's just you know it's going to be interesting going forward to see how many future games each of those guys has in their bodies because I think that's really gonna that's gonna end up determining sort of who should have been number one and who shouldn't have been. Uh, it's just how many how many games each of these guys can play over the next five six years. Does it factor in for all at you that Embiid has been historically sort of a difficult player to manage, a difficult personality, uh, if if you will? I mean, some some people love it. Uh, it's clearly been a challenge for the 76ers at times uh, integrating him from a chemistry standpoint. Does that factor in at all in your decision to go Jokic? That I I can't say that was a big part of it. I mean the the just being on the floor part of it was was the big deal for me. Uh, I'm talking about now. I'm yeah, talking yeah. about in in hindsight. Yeah. Uh, you know, I just think when a, with a player of that ability, it's not his issues aren't so huge that that they that they make it impossible for you to win or anything. I mean, they were four bounces away from knocking out Toronto, right? right. Like they're. I, I just don't see him being such a big issue. I, to me, the biggest issue with that team has always been just the on-court chemistry of having uh, multiple guys who can't shoot at all and a dominant post player and trying to make that work. Well, the other thing that, that we have, which is clear, is that there's a pretty big drop-off now. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> a, a, yeah. You know, af, after these two guys, it it... it there's there's some real players here, and we're going to talk about some 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 players that are having really nice NBA careers. But it but there's a there's a major major drop off now from the sort of franchise type of players that we've just talked about in Jokic and Embiid and and what's coming next. So you're the 76ers, you have the third pick in the draft. Embiid and Jokic are off the board. Who do you go with? This this is actually interesting because this this is where it gets a little hard because I've gone I've gone a couple different ways on this, but I actually think I actually think the way I might go on this, even though this this guy has not had the best career to date, but I think of the players left, he will probably have the best career of any of these guys going forward. Um, 
So I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna go for Zach Lapine. Interesting. Okay, what's the rationale? But behind uh, Zach Levine, I mean, he's still twenty. He had a really good offensive season this year, honestly. Like he's he's a poor defender. He's on a bad team. Uh, he still makes mistakes and takes bad shots and and whatnot. But offensively, he's just he's really good now. Like he shoots thirty eight percent on three. He draws fouls now. He doesn't shy away from contact anymore. I mean, he was. He was, uh, you know, a teenager in this draft coming off a of freshman year at UCLA where he wasn't even really a good college basketball player. He was just so electrifying physically that you, you saw how he could become a star player uh, down the line in the league. And I think that's what happened. I mean, the conversation we had internally about him at that time was, you know, he's the guy you want to have on his second contract, not his first one, because he's not going to he's it's going to take him a long time to become whatever he's going to become. But when he does, that something could be pretty darn good. And I think that's how it's played out. Yeah, I think it has as well. I mean, you know, you're, you're exactly right at UCLA. First of all, he wasn't the blue chip high school prospect. And there was there's always obviously played in Seattle and, and Seattle doesn't get scout, scouted exactly the same way. And there were some prejudices going in there. But he, he was he was threes, incredible dunks and and some ball handling skills. Uh, that 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 made him an you know an interesting player, but a lot of people were really thought he was going to be a bust in the draft. I, I was I was one person that liked him a lot um, cut coming into the draft because you could see the potential there. But that's a really great point. You, you had to live through some things with him uh, <laughs> before yeah. he was going to settle into being a good NBA player, and, and obviously a question mark about whether he would settle in. And but he seems to uh, have done so and. I think that's a really defensible uh, pick for the 76ers. And certainly if you kind of look at the personnel that they had at the time, that might have been a nice fit uh, for them as well, though I can't imagine Brett Brown ever selecting him number three. If he had any say in it, uh, you know, at the time, uh, I could see him screaming yeah. to high heaven uh, about about Zach uh, not being the guy that, that that he would really want on his team from a chemistry standpoint and just, just the sort of culture, at least that he was trying to build, build there. I, I think... Sam and others may have looked at it differently. Yeah. Okay. It's it's fourth. It's the magic. Uh-huh. And I and I I'm sort of in the same same boat as you. I, there, there's a number of players that I think that 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 uh, you could take here, and and I'm just not quite ready to let go of Andrew Wiggins yet. Uh, oh and, my goodness. And, okay. Okay. Here we go. You're gonna you're gonna come after me hard right right now. Uh, I, I I I had him a bit <laughs> further down my board. Like in the top ten, or were you way down? I I had wait 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 six seven eight nine ten. Uh, I had him I had him uh, I had him between Dwight Powell and Bogdan Bogdanovich. Okay, okay. Although I, I will say I will say, given what I just said about Levine, like Wiggins and Levine are the same age, right? So exactly. So your point is defensible there. I just think Wiggins hasn't really made any progress as an offensive player. Like I, I just he's he's the same guy he was at twenty. Levine has been on a trajectory, but Wiggins to me is just still the same guy. Just floats in and out of games and just kind of does yeah. whatever and. Not really and, much of a shooter, not really much of a playmaker. Can sort of, you know, he can get you twenty points if he takes twenty shots, you know. But it doesn't really do anything that kind of pushes you towards winning. Yeah, I get it. I get it. And and I I think the thing that is that is keeping him higher on my board 
is a hope that with Steve Kerr and the Warriors, he's found a better home, a better fit, the pressure on him to be the man uh, and, and, and the guy, the number one pick, the superstar at his team, all of that sort of melts away now mm-hmm. for him uh, with a coach that I think can find a way to get the best out of him. I, I will say this, uh, every year, you, you know, you make fun of the agent workouts, but every year I would go on a tour of, of the top players you know, in, in, in the draft and, and go down and see them working out and prepping for the draft and spending time with them. And, 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 you know, I walked away from my Andrew Wiggins day, uh, with a concern. I, I, I'm, I think I'm remembering right that Drew Hanlon, uh, uh, pure sweat was, was, was training him at the time. And Drew was just having to push and push and push and push and push Andrew. Right. Uh, in, in the workouts. And, and Andrew was always, you know, tired, wanting to take breaks, didn't want to do things. It wasn't a bad attitude or anything like that. It, it just didn't seem that, that that fire, that drive, that hunger to get better was there. And that was probably the first time. I, I'm a huge Kansas fan. I, you know, I, 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 I watched Wiggins. I, I, you know, I, I, I really thought he was going to – I really thought he, he should have been the number one pick in the draft, and I was clearly wrong about that. But that was the first time that I walked away after watching that workout and wondered, maybe this guy isn't going to put in the work that it takes to take his game to the next level. Right. And maybe that's just not, not in him. Yeah. And, and certainly there's lots of anecdotal evidence. I, I haven't seen him work out. I have no idea what his summer regiments are like or anything else. Maybe he's working really, really hard. But there's certainly a lot of anecdotal evidence that that, that turned out to be true. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be interesting to see if he can turn it around over there. Because it, yeah, now you can't just be like, well, it's the Timberwolves, you know. It's like in, in that environment, you know, with with Steve Kerr and Steph and Clay and those Draymond, those guys around him. I mean, okay, it's a uh, fifth pick. I left your guy on the board, whoever it was. Uh, I clearly, I, <laughs> clearly left God. left him there for you in the Jazz. <laughs> you left for me. There's, I have a good story about this one. My Swiss brother Clint Capella. Okay, uh, Clint Capella. Uh, he has by far the most career uh, war of any player left on the board, uh, and he's still uh, pretty young. Clint Capella, <laughs> for us, we we were actually we picked twenty uh, third that year, I think, twenty uh, second. So he was one of the players we were looking at. Um, he went twenty fifth. Yeah, had. About you talk about you talk sometimes about not doing workouts with guys, um, or not doing any workouts, and and that might lead to better uh, picks. Clint Capella had a a train wreck of a workout for us. Like it was so bad that I I don't think anyone could have possibly walked in the room and said we want to pick this guy and and without being just mocked and and kicked out of the room like that like it was that bad and but it was one day right and i i just i just, that that's the thing that really made me wonder about workouts after the fact when he started to develop in houston and started to show all the things that you know you could see in france and you could see you know he played at the hoop summit that year too i'm pretty sure right he my recollection he, he, is he played there it wasn't great but he was okay it, it wasn't great he yeah. hurt himself there okay that's and, right. and, it, yeah. and i think that was the theme Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is one of those things where you you scout a player, 
in France and 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 many many teams had him as a top 10 pick. Mm-hmm. He comes over to the United States Hoop Summit workouts he slides all the way to 25 mm-hmm. I, I think you probably weren't the only team uh that that had him in for a workout that came away uh frustrated and and questioning where they had him ranked earlier which and, and we don't really have time to get into all this today but it's probably a subject of another podcast you know individual workouts things yeah. like hoop summits are they, do they cause more problems than they help in, in, sure. in scouting evaluations? And I think this is clearly an example. Uh, and, you know, the Jazz, this would be great for the Jazz who can tell you all about Rudy and having that same problem at the NBA Combine and in, an, in a number of workouts and sliding from like a top five, six pick uh, all the way into the late 20s. Uh, there, there's, a, there's a track record, especially sometimes with international players, of coming over to the U.S. in this sort of environment, mm-hmm. not showing particularly well in international or in team workouts, and then turning out to be really good players. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, very defensible for the Jazz. We'll be back with picks 6 through 10 on the next segment with John Hollinger. You're listening to Chad Ford's Big Board on the Locked On Network. Okay, we're back, and we're now going, we're, we're redrafting the 2014 NBA draft. I'm here with John Hollinger. John Hollinger just selected with the fifth pick to the Jazz, Clint Capella, who actually went 25th to the Rockets. It's the sixth pick in the draft. This is where, again, a bit of sentimentality, you're also going to, I'm before, sure you're going to mock before, me for this Well, bit. before you pick, Chad, the remaining players from the 2014 Kansas team that you can select are Frank Mason, Wayne Selden... Uh, Andrew White, Tariq Black, and uh, Perry Ellis. <laughs> it will not be a Kansas player, though it's very, very fair uh, to, to peg me that way. I'm going to let the Celtics keep the pick that they selected. Yep. Marcus Smart That's a uh, uh, from Oklahoma State. I, I understand that Marcus Smart has been a very limited player, especially when you think about, about him from the offensive end. But I still think that there's something special about Marcus Smart that he brings to a team that he's brought to the Celtics over over the years that he continues to bring uh, to the Celtics. And as I look at the other players that are available left to us, this is still the guy that 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 I would want want to go to war with. And 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 I, I think this was a great pick by the Celtics at six. And I still think it's a great pick for the Celtics at six. Yeah, that that was that was the pick for me as well. I. He, I mean, he just makes winning plays all over the place. And, you know, you see 9.9 career points per game, but he just does so many other things that help you win. And I think, too, like, because some, you know, you could have gone big here again, for instance, with like somebody like Nurkic. But I do think like perimeter is worth more than front court generally in, in today's NBA. And you have to calibrate for that a little bit. And so I, th- I think that's a really nice pick. Okay, this will save us from Bill Simmons coming back and destroying our first uh, first podcast. So uh, that's always a that, that that that's always a plus as well. Uh, you know, all all publicity is good publicity, but I'm I'm really really hoping that I I don't get an angry angry tweet from from Bill uh, on 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 our first one. Uh, so okay, that leaves the Lakers at, at seven. 
They yeah. took Julius Randle. I, I have a feeling you're not going to take Julius Randle. Not Randall. gonna be taking Julius Randle. Yeah, I'd say I'd say that is accurate. There's actually there's a couple different ways I could go here. I think I think my choice here might be a little bit of a surprise. Um and I may be overrating his his last season a bit, but I I think based on that he's gonna be able to play at this level for a few more years, and that's a really highly valuable player. I'm taking TJ Warren. Okay, TJ Warren. Uh, a three-point shooter who has become a good defensive player. Um, I think Phoenix and the uh, you know the environment there uh, probably held him back quite a bit. I think he's still still. I mean, even as a collegian, the thing you saw with him right away is he could just get buckets one on one like it was nobody's business. And uh, just that that skill to score is is still there and and score in sort of like in the flow without needing a ton of stuff run for him uh without needing to dominate the ball uh but what he's really added to that package is the catch and shoot three-point game uh and then defensively he's made so many strides in this last year in indiana uh it's really been impressive to see uh, to the point where he's now a really good two-way player at the three spot, which is one of the hardest things to find in the whole league. So to to me, that makes him more valuable than some of the other players who are four or five or one, two. To have a good starting caliber three, that's something that everyone's looking for. They'll pay $20 million for in free agency. So I think TJ Warren's got to be the choice here. I think it's a great choice. Uh, it's... I had him slightly lower uh, on my board, but definitely within that range. And and, and I, I think here's a here's a player that really has has shown improvement in his game as well. You know, coming in, I think the one thing we'd say about T.J. Warren was he was a, he was a mid range mid range guy. Yep. Like he he really didn't have that three point shot yet. And I think that was the big question mark about him as a scorer was he going to develop that three point range and why he slid a little bit further uh, in the draft because of it. And he's put in the work and, and, and he's improved dramatically. And, and still just 26. So he still could be on a little bit of an upper trajectory here. Okay. It's the Sacramento Kings. Uh-oh. Eighth pick in the draft. Uh-oh. I feel like I should just, <laughs> I feel, I feel like I should just tank the pick, tank the pick on purpose. Nick, Nick Johnson. Uh, <laughs> you know, I just just feel like I should, at, at the spirit of all things, Kings get things. Or I shouldn't say that because Darren Fox is has has clearly been yeah. uh, a, a a a home run for them, and 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 a really great pick. But but the King Kings don't have the greatest track record in the draft. You, you know, I'm I'm torn between potential and production here uh, a bit. You know, it's interesting. They they took Nick Stauskas, mm-hmm. and I think they they thought that maybe they were going to turn Nick Stauskas into a point guard. There was a lot of a lot of a lot of teams that were hoping that maybe that's what he could become uh, in the NBA. I think there's a lot of projection there. It didn't work out. Yeah, I'm going to give him another point guard. Okay, uh, but a guy, but guy that went in the second round, okay. uh, Spencer Dinwiddie. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Spencer Dinwiddie here. He went 38 to the Pistons. Uh, he he's had he's had a really uh, nice career the last couple of years with the Nets, and 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 I and I think that that while he's not a sexy player, uh, I, I think he's been a really productive player. And, and he's been a player that's been fine coming off the bench, do, doing really whatever he's been asked to do yep. uh, for teams. And, and, and I think that when you look at the, the players that, that were left here on the board, I, I think Dinwiddie would have been a really, really nice choice. Would he have been the, the top point guard off the board for you? 
Uh, of the ones remaining, yeah, I had him after Marcus Smart, but yeah, yeah, he, uh, of the guys left, yeah, absolutely. You know, this is another when we get to draft stories. I mean, he tore his ACL, and it was like everyone just decided he was dead, right? Like he moved so far down off draft boards based on that, because I think a lot of teams had him rated as a first rounder. Uh, you know, playing that playing at Colorado before he got hurt, and I, I think teams overreacted to the injury. Well, that's. That's not uncommon, and and you understand why, because a lot of times those players do struggle to bounce back from those, but he certainly has had a really, really nice career uh, since bouncing back from that. Okay, so that's that's, I give you Dinwiddie to the Kings at eight. It's nine. It's the Hornets. They're on the clock. All right. Uh, So... (laughs) Oh, they took Noah Vonley? Okay, let's find them a better big than that. Yusuf Nurkic. Took it. All right. Took him a while to gain his footing in the league, and then obviously he had the devastating injury last year. Um, had one really awesome full season in Portland. Uh, hopefully, we'll add a few more to that. Uh, I really, I was surprised it took him so long to get going. I I watched him play multiple times overseas, and he was freaking awesome. Like he was, the, the guys just couldn't deal with him in that league, and he had the lateral quickness to chase pick and roll sideline to sideline, but it was huge and. He had different post moves. Like he, he had so much to him. It amazed me that it took him so long to get traction in his career, uh, just based on how good he was in that Adriatic League that year. Okay, really, really great pick number nine to the Hornets. Nurkic. It's the Sixers. They're back on the clock. They ended up doing a trade uh, on draft night. Moved down a couple of spots to get to get Dario Saric, who was really the other, besides Dante Exum, the the other what I think a lot of people thought was the other international star, potential star Yep. from an international player. Uh, I, I'm not going to give them him. I'm actually, again, going to err on maybe there's still potential here. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's frustrating because I was more excited about him last year. And I, I feel like there's been some, some regression this year for sure. But Aaron Gordon. So yeah, you're, well, you're hinky. You're taking Orlando's player again. You're going to get them to yeah. uh, give you a first to go from 12 to 10 like they did with the uh, Peyton Sarge trade? Yeah. I, I, I don't, you know, on, on, on paper, Aaron Gordon should be better than he, than he, than he has been. Absolutely. And, and, and you watch him and you see the pieces, but they just don't all get put together. What, what's going on with Aaron Gordon? And, and do you think that there's still potential for him to, to break into being a better NBA player than he's been so far? Uh, I, so I think so. I think one of the, so I think two things have held him back. One is he's playing with, with kind of a similar player in Jonathan Isaac. Like the roles aren't really defined for who's the three and who's the four. And is one of them, you know, is one of them really a stretch guy? And is one of them, you know, somebody who's going to be more in the paint and slashing and whatnot. Cause they're both kind of not that good shooters and just kind of okay off the dribble. I do think he's maybe lost a little bit of athleticism. Like, I, yeah, you don't quite see him making quite as many freakish plays as you used to. Uh, but I also think if he was in a system where it was more defined that he was the four and there was more shooting around that, that he might be able to find more creases and spaces to play his game. That's been my thinking all along. That this is a this is a player that's really system dependent. Needs the right supporting cast. Needs the right role. And that's just never really worked out in Orlando. And and maybe a change of scenery 
would would do wonders for Aaron Gordon's career uh, right now at ten. But the potential the potential to be better than he is right now, I I think still exists uh, for Aaron Gordon. Okay, we'll be back with picks eleven through fourteen on the next segment with John Hollinger. You're listening to Chad Ford's Big Board on the Locked On Network. For an early morning breakfast burrito to a pepperoni pizza while you watch the game. Sometimes you just need what you need delivered fast. And that's where Postmates comes in. If you're like me, you'll probably start thinking about what to eat for dinner while you're eating lunch. I love food. That's why I love using Postmates. They deliver food from every restaurant I can think of right to my door. But Postmates doesn't just deliver burgers and sushi. They actually make life easier with grocery delivery and whatever I can think of delivery too. Convenience stores, clothing stores, you name it. So no more trips to the store. No more late night fast food runs. I don't even have to worry about where to grab lunch anymore. Just download Postmates on iOS or Android. Find your favorites and get anything you want delivered within an hour. For a limited time, Postmates is giving our listeners $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days. To start your free deliveries, download the app and use the code LOCKEDONNBA. That's code LOCKEDONNBA for $100 of free delivery credit with no minimum purchase for your first seven days when you download the Postmates app. Anything you need, anytime you need it, Postmate it. And now we are back with our final picks in our 2014 NBA redraft. Right now, I'm with John Hollinger. The Sixers had the 10th pick in the draft. Uh, I selected Aaron Gordon for them with the 10th pick in the draft. We're now at the Denver Nuggets with the 11th pick in the draft. John, who do you have? Well, this is convenient because I have Gary Harris going to the Nuggets at number 11. Uh Gary Harris. Yeah, I, I have to admit this guy wasn't in my lottery. What? Why? Why? So why Gary Harris? For me, I I was trying to look at the whole body of work rather than just this season. I mean, Gary Harris's third and fourth seasons, he was a really good starting NBA shooting guard, and I still have some faith that he can get back to that because I I really don't know what the hell happened to him like this season, especially, uh, and in terms of his shooting, where he went from a forty percent proposition from three to to shooting in the low thirties and really hasn't made up for it anywhere else. Now, I don't know, maybe he just lost athleticism. He's never going to get it back. I don't know, but uh, he's, I mean, he's still in his mid twenties, still pretty good defender, still a useful player. Even now, I just think he can get back to that point where he's that player that Denver, Denver signed to that contract thinking that he was going to be, you know, a top 10, top 15 starting shooting guard. And there was no reason not to think that. And I, I guess I'm still scratching my, I'm, he's, uh, he's my Aaron Gordon, I guess, where I'm still scratching my head over kind of, okay, what happened here? Um, but I know if I'm picking him, I know, I know I'm getting a few good years at least, right. Where he's going to play at a really high level. I know I have that in my pocket. And then what, what's he going to do between 26 and 30 now? Can he get back to that level? I, I guess that's the part you'd, you'd question here. Yeah, I, I, exactly. Uh, but uh, but I think the really defensible pick there for all the reasons that that you stated. And when you look at 
you know, also there's context here. When you look at who's left on the board and, and you look at a, at a player whose ceiling might continue to be higher and to grow, there aren't really a lot of, a lot of players left on the board that you could say that about. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I think that makes a lot of sense. The Magic have the 12th pick in the draft. I had them taking Andrew Wiggins at, 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 at four. Maybe you would have had them taking Andrew Wiggins at 12. Uh, maybe it would have been a, a, a better fit. I, I'm going to go uh, with Jordan Clarkson. Okay. Here. 46th pick in the draft with the Lakers. Ha, has been an uh, energetic scorer off the bench. Not a high-efficiency scorer, yeah. but, but I, I really like especially the role that, that he's been able to play with the Jazz this year. Uh, being on a better team and, and having a more defined role. Uh, I, I think he's helped the Jazz this year. I, I think that he's a backcourt player that can get you instant points uh, off the bench and and could even start uh, in a pinch for a team. And and when you we think about getting buckets, that's that's an important role to play in the NBA. And and, and Clarkson, especially given everybody else who's left on the board, uh, can get him in spades. Yeah, really turned the corner as an offensive player. Uh, this year in terms of he could always score points, but in terms of being more than a volume guy and, and doing it more efficiently, uh, he's, he's really become much, it's, I don't know if it's slowed down for him, you'd say, or it, it's, it's just been much less haphazard than it was in the past. So, and I think he's going to be able to deliver that probably for several more years. Uh, He's another guy, we talk about workouts, and here's the opposite example. He had an awesome workout for us, and we maybe didn't count that enough, uh, you know, and maybe had him too low still. Yeah, because he didn't have a great year at Missouri the year before he came out. and He, he didn't, and there were some mitigating factors yeah, behind that. But, but he also is the, the type of guy that I could be skeptical about in a workout because when he gets hot, he's on fire. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and is a bit more of a streaky player. And the problem with it, with a team workout is he may just be having one of those days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Uh, 13th pick Minnesota Timberwolves 13th pick for Minnesota Timberwolves. All right. Uh, well, they took a product from UCLA, so I will stay consistent, uh, and take a product from UCLA. I'll take Kyle Anderson at 13. For the Minnesota Timberwolves. I thought you were going to go with Jordan oh, Adams. I'm like, you're going to stick. You're going to. You're going to stick with Jordan hill. Adams. You're going to die on the hill. I, I honestly thought you were going to do that. No, I'm going to go. Going to go with slow mo. Uh, you know, good multi. The amazing thing for him, for me for him was that when he came into the draft, the question was, can he defend any position? And he's actually turned out to be a really high-level defender, and that's where most of his value in the league has come. And the thing that's held him back has been the, the shooting part of it, especially because he can't play on the ball as much as he did at UCLA. I mean, he was this really funky college player who was like a point center at UCLA. It was, it was weird. And, uh, and now he's in kind of a different role as like three, maybe a little four uh, kind of hybrid guy in, in the league. Love slow-mo. slow-mo. Uh, his game doesn't make any sense at, at all, and it felt like it was not going to make any sense when he went to the NBA. Uh, a, again, this is a guy who really, really understands the game yeah. uh, of basketball, and it, it makes up for a lot of other deficiencies uh, that are out there. I think that's a great pick. I've got the last pick. It's the Phoenix Suns. 
They're 14th. This is like a great trivia question. Who has the third most win shares of any player in the 2014 NBA draft? And the fourth highest war. Uh, would that be Jeremy Grant? It's not. It's Dwight Powell. Dwight. Oh, I'm sorry. Dwight Powell. Yeah. 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 Dwight Powell. Okay. Goes to the Charlotte Hornets with a 45th pick in the draft. Has been a staple for the Dallas Mavericks. He's solid. Yeah. He's solid. Yeah. I can't uh, argue that at all. The, 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 guy, the guy helps basketball teams win basketball games. And, and while not, none of his numbers are ever, ever sexy, when you really start to dive into the advanced analytics, this guy consistently every year is helping this team win basketball games. 100%. 100%. Yep. Yep. The only the only reason I wouldn't have had Powell higher is just like he's a big. So I was I was going for the perimeter players uh, ahead of him. Yeah, he's a good player. Absolutely. What's crazy with his story is he gets drafted and he's a throw in in two different trades before he ever gets any traction. Yeah. And I mean, and he, making was, a lot of money. And he was like pure throw in in both trades. Like <laughs> neither Boston or Dallas was doing those trades to get Dwight Powell. It was just like, oh, he makes the money work. So let's talk about a few players that we didn't draft. Okay. The fifth pick in the draft, Dante Exum. Yes. Super exciting player for the uh, the, the Utah Jazz. They, they, they waited and waited, waited on him. Injury after injury after injury really, I think, destroyed uh, his development. Any thoughts on Dante Exum at this point? He just never got, he just never progressed to anywhere beyond where he was. You know, people saw him as almost this junior Scottie Pippen type when he was playing in the, in the hoop summit and when he was playing youth in Australia and just never really figured it out on the ball. Just never, you know, his shot never came around really. And even the decision-making, the turnovers, like that, that just never got fixed. You think that was mostly the product of just being injured so much and and missing all of that critical development time as a player? Uh, you wonder, but I don't know. I mean, some guys just some guys just level off. You know, it's it's hard yeah. to say. Yeah. I mean, he still he still played a pretty significant number of games and just never just never clicked. The number two pick in the draft, Jabari Parker, not in our top fourteen, always able to score the basketball. He, he's proven in the NBA that he can score the basketball. Maybe one of the worst defenders yeah. um, that, 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 that we've seen in a long time in the NBA. Boun- has bounced and bounced and bounced around the NBA. Any hope for Jabari Parker? Uh, hope to be, you know, a backup four who can play 20 minutes a game. Yeah, he could probably do that. I just... At this point, I think he just is what he is. I mean, I think the knee injuries didn't help, obviously, with some of this. But he's a non-shooter who doesn't read the game that well. So what? Where? where's the value proposition there? It's just hard. Nick Stauskas, number eight to pick in the draft. Sacramento Kings. Yeah. Yeah, that one. That, I mean, they – was he in the deal a year later where they gave – Send it to Philly. They sent it to Philly and gave up the future yeah. pick and the swap rights, right? Yeah. Just to get rid of them. Yeah. Yeah, that went downhill fast. Really went downhill fast. Disappointing. Julius Randle, not here, even though he continues to put up kind of big numbers. 
Yeah. Where, wherever he's been. Yeah, I mean, he's an, he's an empty calories guy. Um, you know, he was, I mean, he was definitely in consideration for me with these late picks. But again, you know, he's a, he's a big who's not really adding anything at the defensive end. Doesn't really stretch the floor out for people. So you gotta, you gotta put up some pretty big counting stats to offset those two things. Doug McDermott, 11th pick in the draft. Yeah. Having a bit of a resurgence this year. Yeah, but that was a bad trade, man. <laughs> 15 really to 19, Harris and Nurkic to trade up for McDermott. Whew. That did not work out. Al- Alfred Payton. I loved Alfred Payton. Uh, just, just full disclosure, I loved Alfred Payton. I thought he clearly deserved to be the 10th pick in the draft. You were not alone. Hasn't panned here. out. A lot, a lot of people were, were high on him. He was a he was a very young junior. Was that right? Do I have that correctly? Um, yeah, 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 absolutely. At Louisiana Lafayette. Um, I got to see him play in a little bandbox gym against R.J. Hunter down at Georgia State. That was fun. Uh, but, yeah, the shot never came around. And I think the, really, the thing that really surprised people is that he, when he was drafted, people really talked about his defensive tools, and he just never turned that into a good defender. Dario Saric, 12th pick in the draft, and, and, and a guy who had an established track record overseas. This was not, you know, uh, Nicolos Schiavelli, yeah, uh, who was just shooting, you know, jumpers in a gym. No, he was the MVP of the Adriatic League Finals, yeah, and that was a good league that year, and... You know, he had a couple good years in Philly, and then he's really struggled since he left Philly. Uh, in both Minnesota and Phoenix, they've had him off the ball. I think he has to be able to play with the ball in his hands some to be effective, and he just hasn't really been able to do that uh, on the NBA side, especially these last couple of years, and I think that's hurt him. I still think there's some potential for resurgence there. If he was like a sixth man in an on-ball role – we, you know, where he could do more stuff and use his skill a little more. I think there might be some more they could get out of him. The problem is once your team gets to a certain level, you probably don't, you probably have enough good players that you don't need Dario Sars to be on the ball anymore. And then it's like, well, what do you do with them? Yeah. Jordan Adams. <laughs> the 22nd pick in the draft to, to, the, to the Memphis Grizzlies. Yeah. A, a little known, little known fact. Uh-huh. He ranks fourth. In, in the 2014 NBA draft in box plus minus in his 263 yeah, minutes. Yeah, I don't doubt that. He was pretty good his rookie year. We just couldn't get him on the floor because we had an awesome team and a deep team. And uh, But even in some important games where we had to play him, like our last game of the season that year, we were playing for the four seed in the West, and we were playing Indiana, who actually needed to win to make the playoffs that night. Um and we had some injuries, and Jordan played and played a lot and played really well, uh, and we were able to win that game. And uh, then, uh, but he started having problems with his knee and just was never able to recover from that. Okay, we have now thoroughly covered the 2014 NBA draft. John, how do you feel about us diving into, let's say, 2016? Yeah, we could do that. We want to do some Ben Simmons, Brandon Ingram. Yeah, yeah. Next podcast. Yeah, we can we can throw down about them too. That'll be fun. And uh, and and uh, Dra- Dragon Bender. Yeah, you just want to get number your four. shots in on Wade Baldwin. I know. 
Yeah, yeah, there's a few. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Chad Ford's NBA Big Board with John Hollinger. We'll be back next week dishing on the 2016 NBA Draft. Aloha. Aloha.